Damien Lillard has gone from Portland. Is their roster settled? Not yet, but we are going to talk about the value of all of the players on the Portland Trailblazers. It's a fantasy season preview, Michael Bolton. Thanks, Josh. It's Michael Bolton here, and it's time for another episode of the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast. Let's get to it. Let's get to it, indeed. You are Locked On Fantasy Basketball, your daily fantasy basketball podcast part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Locked On Fantasy Basketball Podcast brought to you by Basketball Monster. My name is Josh Lloyd and I am the lead fantasy analyst at basketballmonster.com. You can find me on Twitter as always at redrock underscore b-ball, on TikTok at redrock underscore b-ball, and on Instagram at Locked On Fantasy Basketball. Today's episode is brought to you by GameTime. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code LOCKEDONNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Thank you also for making Locked On Fantasy Basketball your first listen. Every day we are free and we are available on all platforms. All right, so we're going to do Portland Trailblazers. I tried to hold off as much as I could, but just a quick also warning on this is that I'm recording this 24 hours before it's released. Wanted to make sure I could get something out tomorrow, just heading away for something for tonight. And I hope that in the next 24 hours, Drew Holiday is not traded. Um, if he is, I will come and do a belated show on that later on. But we hope that nothing goes on in that regard just for the sake of this show. So I'm talking about the Blazers. I'm talking about them after the Damian Lillard trade, but before the Drew Holiday trade. And that's what we're here to talk about. Again, remember, check your invites for Locked On Fantasy Basketball Bowl. If you hadn't paid by yesterday, I've kicked you out and I've added somebody else in. So check if you've got a replacement invite and the drafts will start uh, in the next couple of days. So be aware of that. We're just going to go straight in here and talk about the Trailblazers. How does their schedule look coming up for the season? They have 47 quality games, which is a lot for a team that could be pretty bad. It's good news. 14 back-to-backs, that's in the middle. 14 maximum game weeks, that's pretty good as well. And their playoffs are pretty strong. We hope that they're not in a tanking situation. I don't think they will be, but they're going 4-4-4 on the 24th of, to finish 24th of March, that's maximum. If you finish 31st of March, they're a 4-4-3, which is maximum. They go 4-3-4 for Yahoo default 7th April, and they go 3-4-4 for ESPN default 14th of April. Now, when I say I don't think they'll be tanking, why do I think that? They're going to be bad. I am well aware of that. There might be a slight risk of it. Again, in a head-to-head league, you mitigate this risk by finishing the date that I say, 24th of March. You will have almost nothing happen to you in that situation. There'll be maybe one or two. You won't get wholesale nonsense. But part of it is this report from Chris Haynes that came out yesterday where Damian Lillard said what we all knew, but admitted out loud that the Blazers told him to not play the final 10 games of last season with a fake calf injury uh, so they could get a better draft pick. Yeah, cool. Obviously, they did it with Jeremy Grant. They did it with Anthony Simons. They did it with Simons the year before. They did it with Shaden Sharp. The Pistons have done it with Grant for two years. Um, The Spurs did it all last season. This is not a revelation. We knew this. I told you this on this show many times. But the NBA having that out in public in a situation like that and with that new resting policy, they are going to be very, very... Uh, vigilant on players sitting out the final three to two weeks of the season. So just, that's why, because the Blazers, Lillard has come out and just said, cool, like I wasn't injured. Um, And that policy, they are going to be extraordinarily cautious, I would guess, about sitting guys. And they're going to be bad anyway. 
So I think that that is something to pay a little bit of attention to, just that we think that they're going to just sit everyone down, but there are a couple of factors there which might make it so maybe we get a little bit more action out of them. What are the pressure points on this team? Um, Drew Holiday, what do they get back in the trade? Because at the moment, Drew has not been traded. Drew will be traded. I don't think he plays a second for the Blazers. I would expect that he is traded at some point next week. They did a little promo video yesterday, the Blazers, of Aiton and Tamani Kamara arriving and talking about the new guys. No mention of Drew Holiday on that whatsoever. Now, maybe Aiton and Kamara came in on the same flight because they were coming from the same team. I don't know. But I'm very, very doubtful that Drew's even going to report to Portland, to be fair. So I don't think that he's coming back. I also don't think, and I'm going to talk about this later, I don't think that there's going to be this high-level prospect coming in that's going to impact the value of guys on this team. I think they're more interested in getting maybe some young flyer bench types because their bench is rancid. It's rotten. But more about picks is what would my guess be there for Drew Holiday. So I don't think it's going to have a huge impact, which is why I am happy-ish to do this team preview now. Shaden Sharp's role is interesting because I'm not sure that he's going to start because Simons is on this team and Scooter's on this team and I'm pretty sure they're going to be the starting backcourt and I think they're going to start Matisse Stivel at the three. Maybe it is Shaden Sharp, but Shaden Sharp getting 32 minutes as a starter versus 28 as a bench player is a little bit different and Sharp was an invisible ball mover and by that, I mean, it's poor phrasing actually. He just never touched or moved the ball last season until everybody got injured, and then he started doing those things. But he was absolutely useless in terms of generating assists or doing anything that was positive until everyone went out. So how does he translate that across to this season? Is he ready to take that big leap? Can he do stuff with a bunch of other actually relatively high usage players on this team? And how do they use him? And then the other question is, who's the number one? Jeremy Grant loves being a number one, absolutely adores it. I think he might be not quite as number one-ish as he was in Detroit, but it's between him and Simons, really, as to who's going to get that mantle. I Apparently, they want to build around Simons or showcase him. I don't know. I don't feel like that's going to go particularly well, but how all of these situations play out, and I just wish Jeremy Grant would accept what he is, and that's not a number one or two offensive option, but he's going to be empowered again. He's going to be embiggened in this sort of a team after signing that sort of a contract to be that player. And which way that needle leans is going to impact a lot of the value and the perception and the projections um, on this squad. Today's episode is brought to you by the Game Time app. They are back, the big fellas. And if you're looking for tickets for an upcoming NBA game, preseason, regular season, you know that sometimes it can be a frustrating thing to do. Comedy events, music, other sports, college football, the start of the NHL season, the NFL season. Game time takes all the guesswork out. They've got last-minute deals, which are killer, all-in prices, views from your seat, and their best price guaranteed as well. Game time is the only ticketing app that gives you peace of mind with your purchase. You can also see that view from your seat when you buy or before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. They are obsessed with finding you ways to help save money on tickets as well with their zip Flash sales, not zip sales, flash sales. And the zone deals, you pick the section, game time picks the seats, and that gives you up to 18% or average of 18% of savings. So download the game time app, create an account, and use the code locked on NBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem the code locked on NBA. They told me here to spell it out L O C K E D O N N B A for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. Okay. 
Who are some breakout candidates on this squad? I've got four guys listed there because despite getting a level of resolution with the Lillard trade, we're not fully there yet. Shaden Sharp, Anthony Simons, Matisse Stiebel, and I've got Jabari Walker there. And of course, when I talk breakout, it's like exceeding expectations and projections. I'm a little skeptical of where Sharp fits with this team as they are, but maybe they just start the three of those guys, the no defense, all offense uh, trio, and Sharp blows up. Or maybe they just concentrate all of their shots into Simons. I don't think that both Sharp and Simons can be breakout candidates to get... Oh, sorry. They can be both be breakout candidates. I don't think they can successfully both break out with the way the team is structured. But that's what we need to watch. I've also got Thibault because if they do play him 30 minutes a night, I don't think that they will. But if they do start him and play him 30 minutes a night, he might get two steals and 1.3 blocks. And he started to show some shooting ability when he arrived. I don't really think that that's going to be real or it's going to continue. But if he plays 30 a night, there's huge defensive numbers. Maybe he sneaks his way to 10 points, four rebounds. That's enough, right, to be useful. I'm not that interested in drafting him, but if he does get the role over Sharp, yeah, he will be a 12-team league player. The other one is Walker because their four depth is trash. Behind Grant, and then Sharp's not really a forward, but he's going to have to play there, or Thibel. Like, it's Kevin Knox, it's Jabari Walker, and it's Chris Murray, the rookie. The center depth is trash as well, but maybe Walker beats those... Well, Knox is bad, we know that, and Murray's a rookie. Maybe Walker has an opportunity to play 20 minutes a night, boosting to 26 if Jeremy Grant does get hurt at all, and he can very easily exceed projections. He's a guy that's had some really strong summer leagues, hasn't done much otherwise, but that's an interesting spot. Now, that could all be ruined if a Drew Holiday deal brings back a forward, but it is something for us to watch. In terms of Sharp and Simons, I should just talk a little bit about them in terms of fantasy projections and, and values. I'll talk Sharp more here because he is in a uh, an interesting spot in terms of his uh, production. He's got an ADP of really late, like 135 is his ADP at the moment on ESPN. I am a little worried, just again, as I said, about how many shots he gets and how many minutes he gets with those other players around. But look, an ADP of 135 eliminates a lot of risk, but he's at 110 on Yahoo, and that's maybe pushing it a little bit too far. As for Simons, I think we're going to see a lot of adjustments in his ranks and, and values. His ADP is 96 on ESPN, and it's 84 on Fantrax, 78 on Yahoo. And I think it's going to come in from there, but there is some value in those players. We'll talk more about sleepers and busts later on, but now it is time to throw one of these players under the lens, and it is a bloke who's been a member of the Blazers for a couple of days. It's DeAndre Ayton, and of course, we're looking at Ayton's numbers as a member of the Phoenix Suns, and as you're well aware, at the beginning of this preseason process for fantasy basketball, I was pretty down on Ayton because I was like, well, Beal's going to be the third offensive option. That's never a great thing, joining a big three. But what happens to the fourth bloke, and that's Ayton, who never blocks shots, doesn't hit threes, doesn't get to the line, and is going to see usage drop. He actually did take over 20 field goal attempts per 100 possessions last season. And while we might look at it as a disappointing season, he was 59th in Yahoo points and in ESPN points. And in minus one categories, he was 55th. Like they're all pretty strong numbers. Like they're not awesome numbers by by any stretch, but they're not like absolute disaster type production numbers. Yes, it was, I thought, going to be 
a poor situation for him heading into this season. I thought that he'd lose scoring opportunities. He'd maybe play a minute or two extra, but now I think he's going to really jump up. He averaged 18 and 10 last season with 0.8 blocks on 59 and 76. And there's already a nice little value there in both of those percentages. I think he's going to absolutely blow through these numbers. The center depth behind him is Ibu Baji, John Butler, Moses Brown, and maybe Duop Reith. Like they're not great options there. So instead of 30 minutes a night that he played last season, he's got to surely play 34. And maybe there is a risk of him shutting down at the end of the season, but I would expect that usage goes through the roof. Um, maybe he pays a little bit more attention defensively and blocks more shots. I think that he's going to block. These block numbers are really bad. Two, these are per week. Two, zero, two, two, three, four, three, five, zero, four, three, one. I'm not saying he's going to be blocking 10 a week, but six a week? Maybe five, more more consistently four a week. He didn't even average a block per game. That's Nikola Vucevic levels. He's going to do more than that. All right, so already number one, he's, he's quite, and we'll talk more about his blocks in a second. His usage, um, as I bring that graph across, if I can find it, there it is. His usage percentage, where's my, I oh know, so uh, we're going to look at his minutes per week. So he had some really weird, he had an injury in the middle of the season, but some weird low minute weeks. He started to lose a bit of stuff towards the end of the season. He was never really rolling as a big minute player, but I think he's going to have many like 120 minute weeks, even more this season, 130 minute weeks. And he didn't really get to that mark at all last season. Even though that trend line shows that it improves, it's because he had a couple of injury prone weeks in the middle there. The usage graph is also very interesting because he's hovering around that under 25 mark with some real dips at the end. I think he's going to... Well, his overall usage was 22.6. I think he's going to push that to 24 at least this season. And that's going to jump him up in the rankings as well. And if you look at his minus one stuff, it is all over the place. You can see the injuries where those big spikes are. But there's three, four top 20 weeks in a row. There is five out of six top 20 weeks there. There's a three top 25 weeks in a row down in that week 16 to 18 zone. So there's a little bit of runs on the board for cumulative ranking numbers. There are, I think that those top 20 weeks have a chance to turn into top 10 weeks this season. I'm not saying that DeAndre Ayton's a top 10 player. That's what I'm not what I'm suggesting. But on a per game basis, top 30 is legitimately in reach because there was a season, uh, the nineteen twenty season, where he had that suspension, but he averaged 18 and 11 with 1.5 blocks. He was like a top 30 player during that time. And he did that on under 24 usage, playing under only 32 minutes. He should get back to that easily. And I there is some of the usage distribution worries with Grant, Simons, Sharp, Henderson. But I do think that he is going to be able to do a lot more this season. And again, there are some bad weeks here, but there are some good ones. And I don't think many people would have thought there would have been one, two, three, four, five, six, seven top 25 weeks from DeAndre Ayton last season. I don't think many people would have thought that. We know that things started to go awry for him in Phoenix, and you can see that on the Darko DPM graph with looking at his rate of improvement. And basically towards the end of the 21-22 season, he started declining as a player, and that happened all of last season. That is not a great sign, but he was. it was very clear that A, he didn't want to be there. The Suns weren't particularly interested in having him there. There were issues with him in the locker room and with the coach, and obviously Monty Williams is gone. We didn't get a chance to see what Frank Vogel could do, but... He's a guy that is he's relatively emotional like that, and you can say whether that's a positive or negative, but he is. There's also been some motivation issues, I believe, with Aiton in the past, and one of the things that as soon as he was drafted, I was really cautious with was, yeah, what's your goal in the NBA? I was to get my second contract. Uh, okay, cool. That's not... even if and Part of my issue with these things, right, is that... And it's the same where I had a concern with Anthony Edwards pre-draft, where you can believe that 
you don't like basketball and you're just a football guy who's doing well at basketball, which is some of the stuff that Ant said. And I was like, man, that's not a great thing. And it does not that you can't be successful at basketball doing that. Same as Aiden. He can still go out and do things even if his like, motivation is to get contracts. Part of my issue was the lack of judgment. Like, You don't say that shit out loud. You can believe it. You can say, well, all I want to do is get that second contract because there are going to be a lot of people in any field of life that that's all they're doing. Right? That is all they want to do. They want to get that, get that money and that's totally reasonable. I understand that. But don't say it out loud. Don't say it to the media. And don't say, yeah, I don't actually like basketball. I'm actually a football guy. That's what I want to play. Like You can think that. Cool. No one cares. But your lack of ability to judge whether you should say shit out loud, I think has an impact. Now, Ant's obviously been great. But that is that is my part of my issue with Aiton as well. It's like that lack of judgment, the PED stuff, lack of judgment. It's the on-court issues with the coaching staff and teammates, lack of judgment. So I hope he's able to turn some of this stuff around. I don't know that there's really a better situation to do it in terms of giving the opportunity to feed his, I'm going to say ego, that sounds bad, but feed his ego, get a few more shots up and do a little bit more. Although it's not as clear a runway as it might seem on the surface. In terms of, the basketball index headshot plot. I've got two things here. One on the bottom is the block rate on contests. So how often do you get a block when you contest a shot? And the other one is how often do you get involved in the offense? So I'm using his replacement in Phoenix, the guy he's replacing in Portland, Yusuf Nurkic. I'm using some other lower shot blocking bigs who are good rebounders in Jonas Valanciunas and Nikola Vucevic because they have relatively similar profiles. Scoring, rebounding, low blocking shots, relatively efficient. All of those guys are similar things there. In terms of offensive involvement, this is percentile through the league. Vooch is the highest, around 58th percentile. That's not Vooch. Valanciunas is 58. Vooch is 55. Nurkic is 51-ish. And Aiton was like 45th. So he just was never involved in the offense in Phoenix. And while it is, again, going to be a little bit tough with some of those players, there's no reason he can't jump up at least into Yusuf Nurkic offensive involvement role. Yeah, Lillard's gone and he's replaced by um, Scoot. That's cool. So Aiton can easily move up into that Nurkic role there. And interestingly, on the shots that he contested, he actually was blocking them at a much higher rate than anyone here. 60th percentile, whereas Nurkic and Valanciunas at 45th and Vooch down at like almost 30th. So that shows there is a level of shot blocking ability. He's not great. He's not at 90th percentile, but he's better than these guys in terms of being able to actually block the shot but maybe there was an effort issue that enabled him, or didn't enable him to contest as many shots as maybe we'd need. Part of that might be scheme as well. But there are a couple of encouraging things there, which is why I'm looking at him as, at worst, I think a third-round pick this season um, that would suggest that offensive involvement can rise. And if he just gets to more shots, and he's going to block them at a better rate than a lot of these other guys, he just needs to get to more of them. And that might be an effort and motivational um, sort of situation. I think that's, I think that's relatively clear. So that brings me into talk about sleepers. And I do think that Aiton is very clearly a sleeper. These ranks will be adjusted at some point, but they're not now. He's And I just did that ESPN mock points draft yesterday, and he fell. And I don't know why. I don't know why people weren't looking to grab him. He, I think that he's like a top 30 Yahoo points league player, top 30 ESPN points league player, top 35 category league player, at, almost at the very least. He's ranked 53 on Yahoo. He's got an ADP of 54. His fan tracks is 66. Nothing has caught up after the trade yet. Again, understandable, but I did that draft today and he went way too late. Way too late. So not everyone's buying it. 57th in points on ESPN, 53rd in categories. ADP of 92, which is very clearly insane. 
So see what happens. Don't ta- take him at 25, but 38, 39, if he goes in the 40s, I actually really, really like Efraten. And Simons is the other one who, while I've got some skepticism, does he become the number one guy? Does he have to fight with Grant and Scoot and maybe Sharp or Aiton for touches? A lot of his big numbers in the past have come when Damian Lillard has been out and he's been the point guard, and that is not the case this season. But then, I mentioned this on the mock draft shows, I was told that he they want to fo- focus on him and maybe he's a top 10, top 12 point scorer this season in the NBA. So again, this will probably adjust, but you know, I've moved my evaluation up on him a little bit, mainly because of what I heard, not because of the trade, because I just expected that trade to go through. But a lot of this stuff is just not going to happen. 96 ADP for Simons on ESPN with a points rank of 76 and a category of 87. He's got an ADP of 84, an ADP of Yahoo on 78. That's 84 was fan tracks. And I think he's like a sixth round player. There, there are concerns. You know, if you are skeptical of Jordan Poole's field goal percentage, you should be skeptical of Simons. And I don't think Simons is going to have as many assist opportunities as what Poole does because Scoot is a much better player and passer and prospect, or should be a much better, not player, uh, than Tyus Jones. And he'll have the ball in his hands a lot as well. But if Simons could really just establish himself as the number one guy, he beats these numbers very comfortably. And maybe, best case, maybe he moves into Zach Levine territory in that 40s. Maybe he's better than Bradley Beal for the season. Possible. I'm not going to do it there. I'm not going to draft him there. But I do think that there is a lot of value at those current ADP positions and ranks, which will get adjusted. I don't see anyone who's really a bust on this squad. No one really comes out as a bust, which is good news. And there's no current injuries sitting on this team, which again is a huge positive. The big thing is going to be the Drew Holiday trade. Now, I am basing everything on the fact that I don't think Drew is going to play for this squad at all. But I do think that if they do trade him away, they will be getting picks and players who might be eighth or ninth men, backup forwards, maybe a backup center. No one who is going to be impacting Shaden, Simons, Scoot, Aiton, maybe even, probably even Grant. I think those top six are sort of set in their roles. Is that top six or top five? In their roles and that sort of stuff. So whatever Drew brings back, it's more going to be prospects and picks would be my guess. That's why I feel a little bit more comfortable doing this preview because I just don't think that that's going to happen. Now, as for Drew, because I'm not going to be talking about his team most likely, I think that you can't draft him at the moment inside the top 50. I don't know where we draft him, probably in the 65 to 75 range. That probably feels like his floor, and then we'll adjust that when we find out where he's going. But I wouldn't be touching Drew Holiday in anywhere near the top 50 as we currently stand without any understanding of where he's going. At the moment, there's only one player that's currently a contract year guy, and that is Moses Brown as the backup center. We know Brown can be a big field goal percentage, big rebound, and solid block player. So if something did happen to Aiton and he was the backup, but we don't know that. It might be Baji, who's a two-way guy, so maybe not. It might be Reith, who might not even be on the roster. It might be Johnny Butler, who's a two-way guy. But I would guess it's probably Moses Brown, and we'll have a look at him. He's actually going to come up later when I do um, permanent monsters. What is the rotation risk? Well, it is leaning heavily towards Thibel or Sharp. I think Sharp is fine to grab, as I mentioned earlier, in one of those later rounds. I've got a level of skepticism about how he does enough with Scoot and with Simons and with Grant and with Aiton there and with Thibel likely in that mix as a starter. But maybe they just lean fully into Sharp and he starts getting tons of minutes. That's possible. The other rotation situation is the Walker-Knox-Murray trio. They're, again, they're, they're, le- they're not their league. Their roster is pretty thin at the forward spots. I guess there's Tumani Kamara in there as well, but I would think that 
Chris Murray and Jabari Walker probably get the first crack at backing up there at the four with a little bit at the three. And then the other rotation risk is not necessarily in terms of minutes, but it's usage between Simons and Henderson. How much do they stagger those guys? Does that give Ant the opportunity to be a point guard? Because the point guard depth on this team behind Simons and Scoot is literally nobody. Yes, Drew Holiday, but it's literally nobody. There is no one on this team who is a point guard apart from Simons and Sharp. Maybe they get a prospective point guard back, but they're going to have to stagger. And that does help a little bit of the projections for both of those players because there just is not another guy there on this team who is going to be a point guard. Again, I am not counting Drew Holiday in that. Talked about this already, the permanent monsters. I think Moses Brown is probably that guy if he's ever forced into a larger role. Jabari Walker might be but I'm not convinced on anyone else. Sharp hasn't shown great permanent production. Simons is sort of doing what he does. I don't really see anyone else as standing out as that uh, as that player at the moment. Let's talk about the depth chart now, and that gives me an opportunity to talk about old mate Sterling Henderson, who is going to be the starting point guard and is going to be drafted too high in drafts. I would be. I was always happy to take him around 95 to 100, and that's really the same way that I feel now. The Damian Lillard trade does not impact that for me because I was always banking that in, right? He is going to be pretty bad with field goal percentage, lower volume on threes. He's not an elite free throw shooter at all. He's an unbelievable athlete. He's a pretty good to very good passer. He might get some steals, but don't be shocked if the first two months he's the 200th best player. You can't go that at 60. It's just, a, I, I, it is going to happen. At the moment, Scoot's ADP is 84 on ESPN. It's 85 on Fantrax. It's 99. When we do Monday movers over the next two weeks, he's going to push to 70. He's going to start going in the 60s, and I just hate it. Now, if I'm in a points league, getting him in the 75 to 85 range on Yahoo is reasonable. In an ESPN one, again, that's probably trending more towards the categories, and they've got him ranked 65 for ESPN points. That's just too high. I, the, he is Maybe he is the bust, and I hate to say it because I love Scoot, but maybe he is the bust. Talked about Simons already in that 60-ish range. Thibel on the wing, if you want to take a flyer on him as a last-round pick to get some steals and blocks, that's fine. And if those minutes do push up, then there is a lot more value there. And then backing him up, I think he's going to be sharp. And second-round pick, Rayon Rupert. But when you look at the guard depth at the moment, it's Henderson, Simons. And in the wings, it's Thibel, Sharp, and Rupert. So there's a lot of the big names, Henderson, Simons, Sharp. And then it's Thibel and Rupert. That's it. To play the one and the two with a little bit of three. Maybe Rupert has to play. I think he's going to be bad this season. Um, but maybe he has to play. In terms of forwards, Jeremy Grant, I haven't spoken really about Jeremy Grant here. I think that there is that little bit of a risk of how he gets his usage. And in the past, when forced into a larger role, the efficiency has been dreadful and he doesn't rebound or get steals or blocks. But I think he's going to get enough in terms of minutes and touches to be a top 70-ish points league guy and probably in the similar range for categories. I don't don't think he's a an awesome category league player by any stretch, but around that 75 to 85 mark, there is a risk, I think, of Jezza going a little bit early, but his ADP, Jeremy Green, is 101 on ESPN. No sense on that. He's 76 on Yahoo, which is about, I think, bang on. And then the backups, it's Murray, it's Jabari Walker, it's Kevin Knox, and it's second round pick, Tamani Kamara, who I thought was a really good pick from the Suns. And now, again, these guys aren't awesome. Murray, I'm not a huge fan of. Kamara's a little bit older as a prospect, but he's also went 30 spots later, 40 spots later than what Murray did. He's someone to watch for deeper dynasty leagues. For bigs, we've talked about DeAndre Ayton a lot. And then there's a lot of names in the front court, but they're not good. Moses Brown, Ibu Baji, Johnny Butler, and Juop Reith. So as I said, look, there's no depth in the 
in the guards. There's a lot of the big guys there, the big names, but there's no actual players. In the front court, there's a lot of players, but they're all bad. That's what I mean. Like, I don't know that this team needs to actually shut guys down to um, get a bad record because when you've got maybe six NBA caliber rotation players, whenever you throw a Chris Murray or Jabari Walker or Moses Brown out there or even repair, you're going to get cooked anyway. You're going to see some outstanding, I think, on-off differentials between the starters and the bench players because, this again, this team looks bad. Now, that would be, I think, what the Drew Holiday trade might look to address. Picks, but some prospects that can make a little bit more sense um, behind these players. Lastly, we're going to look at Durant and Bazemore. Now, Durant has been available on Basketball Monster for a while, and we've just dropped Bazemore over there as well. I should hopefully get a chance to write an article on that coming up soon. But basically what it is, you go in there, you've got two ways to choose Bazemore, depending on your league. You can choose to use Durant as the base model for it, or you can choose to use regular uh, Z-score valuations or um, uh, your points formula will work in there as well. Plus there's a calculator that you can throw in there, whether you're contending or rebuilding, it's just a number. It's set at 1.25 to sort of go down the middle, which is how I've been giving these numbers. But if you want to look more towards rebuilding or contending, you drop the number down for rebuilding and you push it higher for contending. And that'll adjust the rankings of those based on your specific league. We are in the middle. Like it's basically a test run this season because I just didn't want to be able to just putting out a flat list of dynasties rankings because A, there's just so many different formats, so many different... Um, league sizes, so many different ways to approach it in terms of contending, rebuilding, and it just took a long time to get here. It's not perfect. Um, it runs on a, a bunch of different things. The age of the player, the experience in the NBA of the player, their current season projections, their advanced statistics in terms of um, cumulative and rate stats, um, their, the direction that stuff is headed as well. Um, their usage rate is all baked into the formula there. And then you adjust it based on if you're looking rebuilding and contending. I hope that all makes sense. It should be relatively, basically just say, there's a little drop down on the projections list. It says Bazemore. You choose value or Durant, whether you want to use the Durant model or you want to use the regular model. And then you just choose whether you're rebuilding, contending with typing a number in to get sort of where you want it to go. Okay, Durant actually doesn't like Aiton as much. It drops him down about 10 spots, 15 spots, but it does boost Jeremy Grant a lot and it does boost Shaden Sharp about 20 spots as well, which I thought was a little bit interesting because my regular projections are pretty down on Sharp, um, but Durant did bump, bump them up. But for Bazemore, it's got Scoot as a top 25 player. Um, it's got Shaden Sharp as a top 50 guy. That, I didn't expect that to come out there. Chris Murray, top 200, and Simon's top 80. So you might ask, why is Simon's only at 80? It's, it's sort of, we're trying, the Bazemore at the moment that I'm using here is trying to thread the needle, but it probably leans a little bit more towards youth, obviously, with Scoot at 25. Because in a dynasty, we're probably looking at three to four years in terms of valuation and players. But if you're just like, I want to do what I do now, like Simons will jump up to 50 in that really easy. He is a little bit older, but I also have a level of skepticism about Simons. Like, is he a full-time number one starter on a team or is this team moving on from him? He moves into a sixth man role on another squad and Scoot and Sharp are the starters. And that's a part of it that is baked into some of the stuff there in terms of level of my level don't know why I said that way my level um, my level of confidence on um, Simon so he is top 80 but maybe some may have thought he might have been higher and that fellows will do it for me today don't forget follow this podcast Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Stitcher Spotify and on the Odyssey app and if you are here on YouTube thumb it up and leave your comments down below guys we are done here thank you so much for listening everyone see ya <laughs>